as the relationships deepening in those intimate scenes, I really like to read about like the connection between the characters, how they feel safe with each other, how they they fit together specifically. Like why is it this these people in this relationship? Hello and welcome to another episode of Steam Scenes. I am as ever your host El Greco, and this is one epic conversation. Yes, that is the laundry going in the background. My guest today is male male contemporary romance author and host of the Low Angst Library podcast, Lee Blair. Lee and I had a fabulous conversation about what low angst is exactly and why she was drawn to it as a writer, even though teen Lee read lots and lots of angsty books. We both have similar day job backgrounds in marketing and PR, and it was really cool to talk about how in our author life, we think we both pretty much fail miserably at the self-promotion game, which is hilarious because we do it for other people all day. Speaking of day jobs, mine has been nuts. May in higher ed is no joke. So I feel like I've been run over by a bus, then it backed up and ran over me again. I'm hoping for a bit of a summer slowdown so that I can pick up the pen again and get back to writing. In the meantime, enjoy my chat with Lee. Lee Blair is a queer author from Oregon who writes low angst, sweet and steamy MM romances full of found family. She's constantly amused by the antics of her two ginger cats, considers daydreaming about future trips to Scotland a part-time job, and is obsessed with Schitt's Creek to an alarming degree. When she's not writing, she's crafting or working her day job in communications. Lee also hosts a podcast called The Low Angst Library, where she interviews authors who write romances starring characters under the LGBTQIA2S plus umbrella. Welcome, Lee, to Steam Scenes. I am thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. I am super pumped to be here. I love this podcast so much, and I can't wait to talk to you. I can't wait for your podcast launch congratulations i know you're in like launch mode and you haven't you haven't yet but by the time this airs it will be out in the world and it will have you'll probably have a bunch of episodes out at that point so um where to begin i mean i kind of feel like we're there let's talk about the podcast all right Um, all right so we're talking about low angst you have a podcast low angst library what is low angst So I had never really thought much about the word angst until I joined my first fandom in 2020, the Schitt's Creek fandom. Um, Seriously, I'm super obsessed. (laughs) I've never seen an episode. That's okay. 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 No judgment. I, I, I didn't watch it for a very long time either. No judgment. It just, there's just something about it that really clicked for me. And so I really got into fan fiction and that was my first time reading and writing fanfic. And I saw a lot of people were specifically requesting, Hey, do you have any recommendations for high angst stories or low angst? And they were tagging their fix in that way. And I, I just, I had never really thought about it. So that got me thinking more and more about, okay, well, what does angst mean to me? And as I've been talking to authors for podcast interviews and just having more and more conversations about low angst, I have realized it's very subjective. It's sort of like asking someone to define, okay, what's a spicy scene to you? What is spice for you? What is like a heavy emotion for you? It's pretty subjective. But for me, 
it's usually something that's on the lighter end of the spectrum in terms of tone. Uh, a lot of times the conflict and tension might be external or the characters kind of getting over their own bullshit or like the <laughs> characters like teaming up to battle some external issue. If there's a breakup, it's usually resolved pretty quickly and for some people, low angst might mean that like the backstories of the characters or the settings aren't too intense because there's just some scenarios that are so heavy in nature that it just really makes it difficult to have like a lighter, low angst story. Uh, for me, I really like to consider my stories as kind of communication porn because... Like, <laughs> At the point where characters might break up in a higher angst story, I try to like lean toward the characters talking it out or one of the characters saying, hey, I just need to step back for a minute and process some things mm. and then we'll talk instead of like a big misunderstanding or something. But I think kind of in general, um, some people assume that low angst means absolutely no tension or conflict, that it's just like insta love on page one super fluffy the whole way through but that's not really the case i think in general kind of like the the valleys or the dips in the low angst story just might not run as deep or the roller coaster doesn't drop quite as far as okay. in like a higher angst story okay because i'm kind of wondering like do you think like rom-com can that be high angst because rom-coms to me feel like they're i think they're like low angst by nature right because they're funny but but now i'm sort of wondering could they be high angst that's a good question. I think I think the rom-com umbrella has been broadening and overlapping so much with contemporary romance that it's harder and harder to like find the lines, but I I do agree like in general I think rom-coms can be lower angst, but for me if it's a feeling like if I feel from early in the story that the author is building up to this really intense breakup moment like they're setting the the page or setting the tone like okay this is an issue that one of the characters has and they just kind of keep hitting at it mm -hmm. like a book I'm reading now that's what's happening is someone there's um some homophobia as part of the story okay. and uh, it's a character having a bi awakening and so he's assumed he's straight and is sort of like battling with some internalized homophobia and so it just the every Every time I read a chapter, I'm just like, they're building up to this moment where there's that's going to come into play. Right. And I think that that can still happen in a rom-com, that there can still be that kind of like really intense moment. But I, I think that maybe it just hopefully isn't as intense because of the calm part of the rom. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right, when I th sort of think high angst, like I'm over here thinking like, oh, oh, the mafia. John. Like, you know what I mean? Like that sort of like... And, but maybe I'm confusing like angst with like high drama, right? Or high stakes or like uber high stakes. Yeah. I, and that's kind of where I've settled too, is I feel like there's a difference between angst and drama. And to me, like for my definition, and I found like people seriously have super wide definitions of it. But for me, the angst is when it's between the people in the relationship. And that's where the conflict is happening. Like they're intentionally or unintentionally kind of hurting each other or stepping in each other's way. But when there's just like that external crap, like trying to get the promotion or trying to save the town or trying to run from the bad guys, that feels like drama to me. And as right. long as the relationship characters are like working with each other, 
I'm totally fine with with heavier scenarios. But I do think like, yeah, it's harder to have a low angst mafia story unless it's really intentionally meant to be funny or like sex trafficking. I cannot imagine a scenario where a sex trafficking story is going to be low angst. Oh, I mean, you know, a sex trafficking rom-com. Like what, what, what? (laughs) That's a a tough one for me to visualize. Yeah, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So uh, what is it about low angst that you love? Like what drew you to that? Because I honestly, until you, you, like I saw your podcast and you were bringing it up on, on social media and I was reading, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of like low angst. Like it's always been like, you know, in reviews, oh, the angst, I love the angst, you know, that sort of everybody seems to love high angst. And so low, I was like intrigued by the low angst and I'm curious, what is it about it that you love? So I love the Clifton strengths. So for anyone who's done those, I am a number one positivity. And that means I really like things to be happy and light all the time. And so I really struggle when something's heavy. And for me, my romance that I read, because I'm a very voracious reader, that's an escape from the heaviness of the world. And so I like the lighter tone that I know, like, I know you're going to get the HEA in a romance. Right. But I don't want the roller coaster drops to be too heavy most of the time when I'm reading for fun. And so it just helps me enjoy the romances and staying in kind of like a lighter, fluffier tone. And I honestly had no idea that that was even a market or a thing that readers searched for until I kind of got into writing queer romance and after the fandom stuff and realized people specifically say like in book rec groups, Hey, I'm looking for a low angst read. Can you suggest a low angst read or or authors put it in their marketing? And like, I put it in my blurbs. I write low angst romance because I found that that's actually a search term that people seek out. And for me as a reader, oh my God, I'm so excited because I can specifically seek out. I just want fluff. Just (laughs) all the light fluff, please. And thank you. Like, I love that it's out there. So when people want something heavier, you're like, okay, I want something higher angst or medium angst. But when you want something fluffy, it just kind of helps us filter what we need for our mood reading, you know? Yeah, I, I I really love that. I like I said, I had no idea that like low angst was a thing, and I you know I but of course it is right. Like, and I just think of like, well, it's either like I just kind of look at tropes, I guess, rather than than you know, and that's sort of like where I make my assumption about how heavy it's going to be, right? Yeah, that's a really good point, and I think that's what I what I did as well until I knew it was a thing. Cause like, gosh, 15 years of writing romance. It was just, it's just the conflict and the tension and the drama. Like there wasn't nuance to it. But -hmm. now when I think like, okay, you know, brother's best friend, I can think of books that have tackled that trope in like a really heavy emotional way because the brother is really upset about the relationship or like it, it threatens to break a family apart, which might keep the relationship apart or a really like light, fluffy, the boy, the brother is actually trying to like subtly match make like one of my, yeah. I just beta read a book for a friend that's going to come out soon. And that's kind of what's happening is the, the bro- they don't realize the brother is actually invested in trying to get the couple together. And it is very low angst and light and fluffy. Oh my God. I actually really like that. I think that sounds really cute. <laughs> It was so cute. I loved it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you you had um you told me you read your first romance in 2005 and do, do you remember what book it was oh I totally do oh my gosh I still tell the author I enca- I like I came across the author a couple months ago and I was like hi your book is why I write romance today oh, <laughs> so it was a girl's guide to vampires by Katie McAllister oh and I didn't know it was a romance so I had graduated college and I was tired of reading all the academic books. And I was like, finally, I can read for myself. And I read like all of Anne Rice's Vampire Mm. Chronicles and I just wanted more vampire books. I was super into paranormal. And back then, Amazon users could create like recommendation pages and of just like, hey, if you if you're looking for really dark and heavy vampires, read these books. If you want vampires set in this part of the world or that part of the world or historical or contemporary, if you want funny vampires, read Katie McAllister's books. And I like I legit didn't even consider funny vampires as a thing. Like I was so <laughs> shocked. Like, what? The vampires can be funny because everything I'd read was like brooding and dark. And so I get the book. And I'm reading it and I just like cannot put it down. I'm like, oh, this is, this is a little spicy. This is kind of romantic. What is happening? And then I Googled the author and it was like, Katie McAllister is a romance novelist. So I was like, what? This is a romance novel? Like I totally thought incorrectly, Fabio Bodice Rippers, all of the like negative stereotypes on romance. And as soon as I read that book, I was like, yep, this is what I want to read. And oh my God, this is what I want to write. Oh my god! So you had never written a rom- you had never read a romance before that. No, never. That's wild. That's really <laughs> wild that you were able to sort of like never like it just didn't like enter your orbit even as like because I guess I guess it's also like how do you qualify it right like when I was growing up Sweet Valley High was a really big deal and I consider that young adult romance. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So I guess it depends. Sort of like you know, was there anything like that in your life? Um. I think I mostly read creepy shit as a kid. Okay. <laughs> I remember like sneaking and reading true crime books, like the serial killer dictionaries and like gory horror stories. And I think I, I read a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> yep. I just one extreme to the other. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, but you never wanted to like write that. You just were like cool with reading it. Well, f- funny. And also low that. angst. What? Yeah. <laughs> The funny thing about that, my mom the last few months has been going through and cleaning out, just like cleaning stuff up. And I'll just get these Marco Polos of her just relentlessly giggling because she's found another notebook of just the morbid shit I wrote as a kid of just these horror short stories of murders and gore and all sorts of violent stuff. And so I guess that's what I wrote as a kid. I don't super remember it, but that's my handwriting. And wow. <laughs> I made quite a quite a shift. Well, I, you know, I will say I started when I started writing, I was writing urban fantasy. That's where I started. I didn't start with romance. And I've often joked that my characters are either fighting or fucking. And so but there there is actually a, ver- a similarity between writing these sort of like ultra violent scenes and then writing these ultra romantic scenes. Um, because it has to do with heightened emotions. That is such a good point. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree with you. So like in a way, I'm kind of not surprised, although the serial killer thing is intriguing me. (laughs) 
<laughs> which I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, so you were writing then when you were young. That's what you like, it, obviously. Yeah, random short stories. And I think I like when I was a little kid, I tried to write books. One of the th- the most I just wrote all sorts of random stuff, but definitely a lot of creepy short stories. And then in fifth grade, I remember we did these this like put together this book over a few months of just like art projects and writing projects and I remember writing stories about a kid who swallowed watermelon seeds and he grew watermelon in his stomach and then I took like MC Hammer's um uh oh my god why can't I think of the the popular song don't don't touch yes you can't touch this. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I rewrote that as a Christmas song about you can't wrap this, like wrapping gifts, and I had to perform it in front of the class. Oh, <laughs> so please I tell me like, that exists on video somewhere because it's probably it awesome. I wish I can't even like find the book that has the lyrics. I need to find it and post it on social media um, or something. I, I mean, you can't wrap it. <laughs> That should be my theme song at the holidays because I can't rap for shit. So. It's because you're not wearing hammer pants. You need the hammer pants and then that's where the rapping power comes from. Oh my God, this is awesome. So at what point, at what point, okay, so you're writing, you're, you obviously like enjoyed writing because you're doing it when you're a kid and that's kind of your pastime. You go to college. Were you an English major? Were you like, I'm going to be a writer someday? Or did that dream, did that get shelved or was that like never a sort of goal or dream? I don't know that it was actually a tangible goal or dream that I had. I really liked business when I was in high school. And I had planned to be a business major and do marketing. And then Mm -hmm. when I got to college, I had to take uh, accounting and statistics. And (laughs) yes, thank you. That is exactly the reaction I had. And my ex-husband at the time, he had said, hey, I had to take this public relations class. I think that this is actually like what you want to do. And before then, I was like interested in archaeology as well, but never really quite figured out what to do there. I, I just kind of focus on business. And then I did PR. And so that's kind of what I went into at college. I didn't, I did not like my English classes. I am one of the people who really do not enjoy reading most classics. Mm. Um, I, I just really struggle with them. I like, I like my genre fiction a lot. I mean, I'm happy to read Jane Austen, but <laughs> I really like my genre fiction. And so I never really liked the English classes that much. I did do a creative writing class and I I don't know. I don't think that that one filled me with joy because of the way that they set up critiquing. I hate writing classes yes. because of that. I, I really oh do. I really do. And like my, and I know that this makes me sound like an asshole. So like entre new uh, and all of my listeners, uh, <laughs> my feeling is like, I don't want to take, criticism from people who are not like like if you're my instructor please critique me if you're like if you haven't published or you have no idea what you're talking about or you're you know whatever like I don't want your criticism (laughs) yeah no it's true though like if you are just reacting subjectively to your individual likes that's a subjective thing you might not like what I'm writing but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad yeah Totally yeah. Agree with you. Yeah, I I've always hated and that's why like I'm not a part of like 
writing groups. And like, it sucks because I think I might be missing out on relationships, um, great relationships and camaraderie. And also like, yeah, critique partners are important, but I have been so burned Mm. by that in writing classes that I have absolutely like no interest to do it. Oh, that's so sad to think about. Like how many, I just wonder how many writers just have that flame snuffed out in college and then don't decide to pursue it again that oh that makes me so sad to think about I I mean do you are you part of like a critique group or like a writing group yeah I do have some critique partners I but they're I'm very careful to stay in genre because I have swapped with some people who are in other genres and the misogyny about romance Mm. and some like wolf yeah so I've been very careful to to do that. And then now I'm even like moving even closer toward trying to only swap with people who read or write queer romance, because I find that there's a lot of like heteronormativity that is intentionally or unintentionally applied to critique of like, why would the characters do that? Well, they're two gay men and they might act differently than a straight man and woman would. And so I'm having to be a little bit more careful in that area too. Yeah, I think, and this is probably going to, I'm going to be so awkward when I'm saying this, so forgive me if this comes out wrong, but I do think that there is this sort of mistaken belief of, well, I can write queer romance. It's just like, I'll just take like the the girl part and make it a boy. You, do you yes. know what I mean? Like there's that sort of like reaction. that's like, no, shit don't work that way. Yeah. yeah, no, you're so right. And sometimes you can read it. Like there have been books where I've been reading and I, fe- I felt like, oof, this was written as a hetero male female romance and the pronouns were changed because there's some I mean I'm not implying that like there cannot be chivalry or things in same-sex relationships but sometimes there's this like power differential and and expectations that seem very common in male female romance that might not exist in a male male relationship and so sometimes when you're reading, you're like, oh, this feels like it was a female character and yeah. and the thoughts and the dialogue and stuff. It just, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't feel as natural as a queer relationship. So how do you get it right? Because you obviously identify as a woman. So like, how do you, how, how do you know that you're getting it right? Or how do you, how do you, how do you, sort of approach the writing so that you make sure that you are 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 getting it right god i don't know if i am I, i'm uh, terrified <laughs> of every day i'm so scared of harming someone are you and, yeah like i would oh my yeah. god that's yes i that would be like my biggest and I, I in a way i kind of feel like that's probably actually what makes it ring true right because you are hyper vigilant about making sure that you're not harming that's a good point. Like there, that 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 constant fear <laughs> makes me a little like a little um, sometimes afraid to. I don't know if it's afraid to take risks, but I try to just like I do a lot of research. I read a lot of Reddit threads and mm. just do internet research to make sure I try to have like language right and reading about heteronormativity of what are just like behaviors that we assume are normal just because they're normal to heterosexual people. And, and that's just also been a lot of my journey just as someone who came out in the last couple of years. And so 
I do a lot of research. I also really try to read a lot of own voices, right. male, male romance written by men who identify as queer to just kind of uh, check tone. And, and I try to listen to what they were saying and read what they say in like blog posts and Facebook groups whenever the argument kind of pops up every so often of cis women shouldn't be writing male male romance and just kind of trying to check what what own voices men are saying and another thing I try to do is uh well I guess not try to do but I think because I write low angst that makes me feel a little better because I'm not writing stories where the main conflict centers around harmful things to queer men, like um, homophobia or like really traumatizing coming out stories or really Mm -hmm. dangerous family situations. I'm not writing those kinds of stories. I'm, I'm writing men who are just really like happy and in love. And I think that make that helps me kind of, feel better about what I'm putting out there is because my own comfort level and when I'm comfortable writing, I'm not writing harm coming to men mm. who identify, like people who identify differently as me. Right, right. It, it, I was kind of, you know, because you had mentioned that there is a sort of an own voices component of this. Do you get pushback as not being part of the, um, you know, not being in the male community? I haven't directly, but these conversations come up a lot. I usually see it on Twitter or TikTok where there will be a conversation where someone will will just say like, why are cis women writing this? And then people start kind of throwing out conversations and words around fetishization. and, And it's really difficult to engage in conversations in those spaces because a lot of times people don't want to have a conversation. They just kind of want to say oh, you're a cis woman, so therefore, and you're writing male-male romance, therefore you're fetishizing. But I think it's just so nuanced. It mm-hmm. comes back to why are you writing it? Why are you choosing th- to write this population? What is your approach? Are you researching? Are you, like, it, right. It's just so nuanced that I don't right. think it's it's very one way or the other. So why did you, why did you fall? Like, you know, because I know that you had said you started writing male-female, and it just didn't ring true to you, and you you basically shelved it. And what, you went to Cozy, right? Cozy Mysteries, yeah. which I think is sort of great, you know? <laughs> like a little Agatha Christie happening there, um, which kind of, I think, might tie to your serial killer obsession um, <laughs> yes, in some way. But we can analyze that later. Um, we, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm just sort of, you know, wondering, like, what, why, how did you, how did you come to male male and sort of go, Oh, this is where I feel this, this, this is right for me as a writer. Have I mentioned I love Schitt's Creek yet? (laughs) (laughs) It's totally connected to Schitt's Creek. And okay. How was that? How, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) So it all kind of like connects to, um, my own queer discovery of myself. And so that happened in like late 2019, I was on, I joined TikTok back then and that algorithm, let me tell you, the algorithm was like, hey girl, you know how you thought you're straight for the last 37 years? Psych! (laughs) We're going to just keep showing you these like women and non-binary people and you're just going to question everything. And I did. And hey, hi, I am queer and probably bisexual. 
And so that was like late 2019. And so then when the pandemic hit, I was just, I had had so many people recommending to me, watch Schitt's Creek, watch Schitt's Creek. And the more I'm kind of, um, how do I say this? A stubborn asshole a little bit. (laughs) It's my Taurus sun sign. And um, so I was like, oh, super popular show. Mm, Okay, I'll watch it someday. And then finally, when the pandemic hit, I was like, okay, this this series is ending. And I like the idea of being able to just watch it as one and not have to wait for a new season. And I was finishing my master's in archaeology at the time. And I told myself, when I defend my thesis that June, so June of 2020, I will finally watch Schitt's Creek because I'd had a couple romance author friends sending me these like compilation videos of one of the couples in the show, just really tugging at my heartstrings. And so that June, I defended my thesis in the afternoon. And then like an hour later, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start watching Schitt's Creek. I watched the entire six season series in less than a week. <gasps> I was obsessed. So and you did watched- nothing but watch Schitt's Creek, basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like every evening, like because I'm single and have no kids. So my time is 100% my own. And I'm just like, well, I am celebrating finishing this thesis with Schitt's Creek every evening for hours. And when there's like this documentary after the last episode, and I sobbed myself to dehydration which has never happened before and then I immediately it just was so good and then I immediately started it over and watched it two more times and then that July I started writing and reading fanfic because a local romance author friend one of the people who'd been suggesting I watch the show had started writing fic and was sending me her stuff and so I started reading it and was like oh my gosh I've never been in a fandom before this is amazing and so I started writing it and I wrote and posted over 600,000 words of fic over that next year. I just, it was my life during the pandemic in the early part of the pandemic. And I was writing Mail Mail. And that was my first time because I mm. loved David and Patrick. So David is one of the, like, the premise is these wealthy brats lose all their money and have to move to this rural town that they randomly own. And the whole series is about their character arc of becoming good people. And so the son, Dan Levy, he has a really, like he falls in love with a man and that man he falls in love with comes out as gay. And it's a later in life, like in his late twenties or early mid thirties comes out. And so my coming out, at that time coinciding with watching this show about this man and then reading this fic about Patrick's first time doing this and first time on a date and first time. And I, it just clicked for me. And I think writing and reading my life being that, that pairing, that relationship for a year, I just felt so comfortable Mm -hmm. writing and reading that. And then that it just, then I moved to reading non- fanfic male male and was like yep this is where I belong it just feels right oh wow and so what was what was the first male male book you wrote it was um a book called just watch me it was my debut that I released in January and I was kind of simultaneously while I was uh, writing that was planning my brewery series so my series that I'm publishing in now is four best friends who own a brewery together Okay. Very, very cool. Um, now, did you ever, were you tried published at one point or no? You, you, you were like, 
forget it. I had an agent and got to acquisitions. And then that was when um, I decided to kind of leave. It was kind of happening at that point. So um, I did have an agent for a while. Okay. And so why did you decide to walk away from that and not pursue the trad route? Well, I would say that I've always been really entrepreneurial. It's like as a kid, I used to make bracelets and try to sell them to people on my, all, you know, all the traffic that's on my dead end street where I grew up. <laughs> um, so like when I started writing back in 2005, when I read that first romance and I was like, yes, this, I like trad was the only option. Like, people right. weren't really indie publishing back then, or if they were, it certainly wasn't respected like it is now. It just, there just weren't as many vehicles to do it. And so my framework was just, you traditionally publish. That is the option. That's what you do. And so back then, oh, sorry, had a That's had me. a COVID remnant cough. <laughs> so back then, <laughs> I joined Romance Writers of America and was writing paranormal romance and thought, okay, I want to publish this. I want to trad publish and try to get in with one of the big five. And it took me... 10 years before I finished my first book. And it took a Whoa. trip to Scotland where I met on my first day a Scottish tour guide. And I was just, I remember sitting on the tour bus thinking, what if I wrote a book about an American sitting on a tour bus and falling for her Scottish tour guide? Hmm, where do I get my ideas? And, so that's what <laughs> I did. and I came home and wrote that book. And like we became friends and he still does not know to this day that this, I wrote this book with him as inspiration. Aww. So I switched to contemporary and that book got me into Pitch Wars in 2017, a mentorship okay. contest where part of it was like, if you get selected, you work with someone to polish your manuscript. And at the end, there's this huge agent showcase and all yeah. of these agents want to make requests. And I, so I got my agent out of that in 2017 with I, my contemporary Scotland books. I was really positioning myself as like writing male female romance set in Scotland contemporary. And I just after a while like I don't know. I knew I like as indie was becoming more popular and there were more resources to help people that entrepreneurial bug in my head really liked that and so I decided okay, I want to I want to go hybrid. Mm-hmm. I want to try to like traditionally publish first because I really think that for a while it was the external validation that I was craving of like an agent and an editor telling me that my writing was good and worth investing in. Yeah. And that was really hard to like step back from that and believe in myself in a different way. Not that traditionally published authors don't believe in themselves. It's just a different angle of it when you're publishing stuff yourself. And so I, it took me a while to feel comfortable, like financially investing in my writing myself. And I think that like, while I was agented, I was really struggling with a lot of things about the industry, like how long it would take to just, you know, super, super slow response times for things, waiting for other people to take action before I could reach my goal. It just bothered me how little control I had. Yeah. Yeah. And again, with the entrepreneurial stuff and my day job career is like public relations, communications, marketing. And so I know those are skills 
and parts of being an indie author that intimidate a lot of people. And one reason why they don't want to do it is like, oh my gosh, if I'm, you know, responsible for all of that, like I, that is intimidating. And that part didn't intimidate me as much. So I decided to leave my agent and do Cozy Mysteries and Indie published that. And so I pu- Indie published my first one in December 2021. And as soon as I made the decision, I was like, yes, this feels right. I like having the control. I like getting to experiment. I like the immediate validation of like, I finish a book, I can edit the book and I can post it when I want and then start getting reader feedback from it. Right. And that feedback loop kind of pushes me to write the next one. Right, right. And actually the reader feedback is actually more valuable, I think, than a publisher's feedback because, you know, frankly, they're, you know, they're kind of like, you know, publishing what the market, what the quote unquote market dictates. But I don't think that they really quite understand what the market dictates. Whereas your readers are the market. And so if they respond in a certain way, then you know, okay, like I've hit it, I've hit this thing and now I can keep going or, or, okay, I need to pivot. And I think that when you're with a traditional house, you, you can't, you can't be that nimble. Yes, I totally agree with you. And I think that they're working on data, which is understandable. They're investing a lot of money. And so Mm -hmm. they have to be more careful in a way that indie authors don't have to be. And so, you know, maybe they're working on data that might be old or might be not quite right. Or some people, like sometimes readers of trad books are a little different from indie books because some readers like to go to Barnes & Noble and get their books. And it's hard as an indie author to get your books in there. And so they might just be reaching different audiences too. Right. But it's just, it's nice, like even from a business perspective of, yeah, there's a lot more financial investment I have to put in my writing career as an indie author than I did when I was pursuing traditional publishing because I pay for editing and covers and subscriptions and all sorts of stuff. But I only have to wait 60 days for Amazon to pay me my royalties versus months or years from a traditional publisher. And so that helps me reinvest that money back into my business, which hopefully like gets me closer to like being able to do this full time. So I think even from the business perspective, I like that angle of indie publishing a bit more than how trad would have worked for me. Right. I kind of want to back up for a minute and sort of talk about how, you know, you've got this comms and marketing background and like, you know, you, you're not intimidated by that part of it. And I come from very similar, you know, com- comms background and I'm sort of sitting here every time I have to post on Instagram, I die a little death. Like I can do it for other people. I can't do it for me. And so I'm like, what's your secret sauce? Tell me everything. I am 100% the same way. I do social media coaching with authors and I can talk all day about their stuff and like – like do what I say, don't do what I do type of thing because I'm so bad at my own because I like working on other people's. But then when it comes to mine, I'm just like, oh shit. Okay. I know this is what I should be doing. I should be doing this, but it's like the last thing I want to do. Um, So I am not my own. <laughs> I am not my own best example, but I know I can do it. I just don't take the time to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm always like on Saturday, I am going to devote yes. all of Saturday afternoon to creating a month's worth of social media posts <laughs> that I'm going to schedule and it's going to, and then Saturday afternoon rolls around. I'm like, nope, not doing that. Are we the same person? It's like, yeah, I'm we are. <laughs> models. I'm going to write instead because that's the most important thing is putting out the new books. Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm like. I'm always like, you know what? You know, it's more important than social media. 
media, get in the next book out. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> like, are you on, yes. you're doing the TikTok thing? I was like, oh God, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I have the account and I post every once in a while and then I'm just like, oh, I need to post like a video a day. I know. And I, I so like with my comms and PR background, it's, it's the wordier stuff. I don't have the advertising background or the copywriting. And so the copywriting element of TikTok is really intimidating to me of trying just, just like writing blurbs for my books, like yeah. trying to succinctly hook someone in a very few words. And that really intimidates me about TikTok is trying to like really nail that yeah. hook in a brief amount of time. Oh, And I'm finding my books aren't that hooky. Oh my gosh, that is so brutal. <laughs> yes, my first brewery book, it just didn't have the tropes. And I knew that yes. when I was writing it. I'm like, I'm setting up a world. I don't have solid tropes in this book. Like I'm getting tropes from reviews where people are like, oh, friends to love. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm going to start calling this a friends to love. <laughs> like moving forward that it's like, okay, my next book. I'm like thinking about the TikTok copy when I'm actually writing the damn yeah. book. Because like as a romance reader, like I never ever notice tropes I just read what I liked and it never occurred to me that these things were tropes just never oh, occurred wow. to me never occurred to me I was always just like reading an author that I really loved or reading a book because I liked the cover or re you know like what whatever it was that drew me to the book it was never a trope and so when I read that I never thought about tropes as I was reading and so as a writer I don't really think about tropes I just write the story I want to write which is like the most ass backward way to go about writing genre <laughs> fiction, especially if you want to make a living on it. But that's what I do. <laughs> I, I kind of love that, though, because you're like, like the marketing and PR side of your brain is like, I know I would be easier on myself if I have these like very specific things I can say about the book. And the other part, like your creative brain is like, nope we're doing this my way. I'm yeah. Kidding. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, la la la, I'm off in this world. Like the tropes don't exist. I'm writing stories. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, so then what are your tropes? And I'm like, um, and I'm like, I don't like rock star. Like, I don't <laughs> That's totally trope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that counts, right? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sort of, so like, that's also like part of my struggle when I'm writing this copy. It's like, okay, so what's the tropes? And it's like, I really don't know. Oh, and that is tough. It is. Yeah, it copy really is, is really, really hard. It is. And it's so funny because we can write 80,000 words in books, but then it's like, you know, write a three sentence blurb, like really succinct. And we're just like, I have no idea what my book's about. Yes. It is so freaking tough. I struggle so much. One piece of advice that I, I'd heard, but I hadn't internalized until now, I've published a few books and I'm like, oh, I am doing this from now on, is writing the blurb before I write the book. Yeah, and that's what I've heard too. Yeah. yeah and when one of my podcast interviews, I think it was KM Newhold, was talking about that and how she said it just helps her really boil down the hook of the story without the weight and baggage of trying to explain what happened. It's just mm. what you're trying to get to. And so she will like adjust it once she's written the book. But she said it's completely changed how she can write blurbs by doing it before because you just you're not trying to like, you know, s do a synopsis of something. And I think that's where right. my brain has a really hard time stepping right. away from that synopsis attempt. 
Right. I know one of the things that has helped me is sort of like, and it, it and again, it sort of helps me whittle it down a little bit more. Is I'm I only allow myself uh, two named characters in my book, the 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 love interest. They can be the only ones in the blurb that gets a name that get named, and so. Yeah. And so you start to sort of, that's when you start to go, oh, I can't put in Aunt Polly because, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, Aunt Polly doesn't belong in there, So, (laughs) which kind of helps, you know, sort of like whittle it down a little bit. Yes. Um, Oh, that's such a good point. So to jump back to, you know, writing Mail Mail and, and you're doing these podcast interviews with other authors and I've had, um, you know, a number of authors on here that are writing male-male or, you know, sometimes or non-binary and they're either non-binary or, um, or they're women. And I'm, and so I'm wondering, are you finding a lot of women in the male-male space, right? As far as writing goes? Yes, definitely. I, I think that it's, at least in the, like being able to judge by bios in the backs of the book, um, because a lot of authors either have names that might be perceived as more gender neutral or using initials. But from based on bios, I would say most of the romance I come across is written by women. Mm-hmm. And I, just a couple weeks ago, I was at a conference called the Gay Romance Lit Retreat. And I just based off like the people that I knew and the pronouns that they use, I, it seems like most of the people I met there kind of used she, her pronouns. And one thing I remember reading a blog post about this last year of a man, a gay man who was talking about that from his perspective of why does he think that so many women are reading and writing male, male romance. And he said that he thinks in, in some situations, it just could be that women are more comfortable writing about emotion in mm. some ways and and reading and and being drawn to books about emotion and with emotion being the core of romance that that was kind of what his perspective was and i thought that was really interesting to kind of think about of of just you know gender roles and how we grow up in at least i'm in the US so yeah. in US society of just how there's broad with broad strokes here but like generally speaking it's more i'm using air quotes acceptable for women to be emotional, to talk about right. emotion, to have emotions. And does that play a role in who is choosing to write romance? I think that's really interesting to think about. That is actually very interesting to think about and who almost who's allowed to, right? I mean, yeah, I do know that for a while there, there were a number of, you know, men or, you know, people who identified as male who were writing romance, but they were writing under a woman's name because they would get savagely attacked online if people found out that they were, there was a a man behind that name. Yes. I've seen that happen too over the years. And that's really frustrating, especially kind of having a different perspective now of writing male, male and being writing about like an identity that isn't quite my own. And, um, how so many men are embracing women being in the genre and writing it and creating and then just thinking back on how many men were not given the same like men who were taking it seriously and men who like right. were researching and trying right. to do good um and do good representation and and how they were treated over the years is kind of difficult to think about we right. in my I used to be an RWA and 
in Romance Writers of America, and we had several men in our local chapter. And I really appreciate the care that they took and the questions that they would ask about representation and Mm -hmm. trying to do good work and how um, kind of people embraced them. So that was that was good thinking about back, back about that. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I mean, I do think that romance as uh, like on the whole, just like as a as like this sort of big all-encompassing romance um is a very feminist place to live. Yes. Um which is one of the things that I love so much about it and one of the reasons people are always like why did you stop writing urban fantasy and I miss it and I love it and maybe someday I will go from contemporary to paranormal romance. Um, but a big part of the reason why I changed over was the readers. I just like romance readers better. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. I and I think that there is this sort of, um, you know, there's less misogyny. Although, of course, there's internalized misogyny and all that, but there is less misogyny, I think, on the whole, in the romance world, and that's kind of where I wanted to be. I totally agree with you. I think like having conversations when people over the years would be like romance why are you writing romance like when I was writing hetero male female romance it was like oh why would I want to write books where women have power and agency and are like feminist by nature because so many people would be like oh they're just trashy sex books like well if they do have sex if they are sexual in nature mm-hmm. then what's wrong with books where women are taking their own power and having pleasure like yeah. There should be no judgment about that. Like that, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And and I mean by the same token too, like you can have two men fall in love and that's, you know, and they can have this, you know, r- beautiful relationship and this beautiful sexual relationship. And we don't and and again, like it's that sort of like baggage of this heteronormative sort of like alpha male that's going to come in and you know what I mean? Like yeah. and 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 fuck you sideways. You know, like it just like there's I forgot where I'm going with that. So it's true it's true like there's space for everything we shouldn't have these stereotypes about how men are always supposed to act like there's there's room for that the alpha guys but there's also room for like the cinnamon rolls and just the soft sweet guys who just want someone to like hold their hand and kiss their cheek and tell them that they love them like there's there's space for everything yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But I do think that it is also this sort of place where um, you can just celebrate love. Yeah. In all of, you know, in whatever that looks like. Absolutely. I do love that. Romance is just so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) If it's low angst. Yeah. So I love angst romance. (laughs) So, okay, this is a little bit. I'm going to get to your intimate scene. So, but before I read it, I want to know to you, and this is a little bit like asking like, well, what's low angst, but so you, to you, what makes an intimate scene good? Like what is on your mind when you're writing it? So for me, what I think about what, in terms of what I like, like as a writer or reader, I really like a mix of emotion and action mm-hmm. and getting, so it's not just this body part does this thing, but like building in the emotion And then if it's like earlier in a story before there's an emotional investment in the relationship, I really like a glimpse at kind of the before, like why they don't want to be emotionally invested or the glimpse that they get of how it could be if they open themselves up or what they're trying to protect themselves from. And I like how an intimate scene can show that in a way that other scenes can't. 
Mm-hmm. And like as the relationships deepening in those intimate scenes, I really like to read about like the connection between the characters, how they feel safe with each other, how they they fit together specifically. Like why is it this these people in this relationship? I also really like a mix of description of the action to help me visualize it and like the internal thoughts, feelings, and sensations that the characters are experiencing that to me makes a good intimate scene. But also like personal preference, I love humor. Mm. I really like whether it's like <laughs> laughing over like an accident or like someone acts like gets like a heel to the face or there's like a weird something like, just being silly together. I really, really like when people can be vulnerable in an intimate scene and be silly and vulnerable in that way too. Right. Right. I was about to say there's a vulnerability to the silliness, right? Cause you sort of yeah. like fall off the bed or you, you know, there is a vulnerability with that, you know, like where you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of look like an asshole right now. I'm not very sexy at the moment. Yeah. It's yes, like, Oh, <laughs> these bodies are making really weird sounds. Good yeah. people. Like it's <laughs> funny. I really like that. It just, it's like, it really shows a vulnerability in a way where I'm just like, okay, this couple's going to be solid. Like they can be silly with each other. This is great. <laughs> So I am reading from Eternal Optimist, which I love that that um, that uh, the the title. And um, this this is from the what's the series? It's tap. Was it tap 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 that brewery? Yeah, I really can you tell? I really like puns. <laughs> yeah, I was dying when I read it. When I was like tap that, I was like that's. Perfect. Perfect. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Um, why did you pick this particular scene? So I picked it because, and so that well, this is like a so it's a fake relationship story, and I picked it because it shows like a it shows a vulnerability with the scene. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Basically, like, this is a story of Ethan and Parker, and, like, Ethan is one of the Tap That Brewery owners, and he just really, really, really wants to fall in love. He's the one of the four guys who just loves love. He always is in relationships, but they always dump him. And so at the beginning of the book, he's taking a break from writing, or from writing, from romance, (laughs) and um, trying to figure out, like, what he's done wrong and why people keep leaving him, no matter how he, like, bends over backward to um, to make people fall in love with him. And so and this is kind of, like, setting it up, but it's kind of the why I chose it. Um, and meanwhile, Parker is the other guy, and he's, like, a real estate attorney, and he's trying to get a promotion to partner at work, like, the partner track. And his work has never promoted someone who's single, like due to their family values, bullcrap. And so Austin and Parker meet. And when they do, like Ethan's having this issue with his aunt, who's about to lose her house to these predatory developers. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'm not dating. But I met this guy who's a real estate attorney who needs a boyfriend to get a promotion. So if I can pretend to be his boyfriend, maybe he can help me save my aunt's house. And so they enter this fake relationship agreement. But as they get to know each other, Parker admits to Ethan, I've always been interested in exploring kink, but I've never had a partner interested in it. And due to the nature of my job and like the family values crap at work, I don't feel comfortable just like going on an app and finding someone 
to do that with. So with this scene, why I chose it and why I wrote it is I really wanted a scene. This is their first kink scene. And they've had sex once before just to kind of get comfortable with each other's bodies because Ethan kind of offers to do this kink 101 class with Parker. And so with this scene, this is their first time where they're having any kinky activity. And it just shows like how Ethan makes Parker feel and um, like just kind of showing how that dynamic can go and in an emotional way. Cause this is like the book has some kink in it, but it's not a kinky book. Like the kink is used as a way for them to kind of get to know each other. Right. So right. I wanted to, to, that scene to kind of show that emotional vulnerability and comfort that they have with each other. How long did it take? Uh, did you take to get them together in that sort of sexual, like to like to hook them up? Um, that's a good question. I think, because I think that this scene happens after the midpoint. Okay. So I think that the first sex scene is either the midpoint or bef- a little before. Okay. I'm just kind of curious what the, like, uh, how slow was the burn in this one? <laughs> yeah, because they're they talking about sex really early on, because when that, um, when that like when Ethan proposes the kink 101 class like they're texting about it and so there's like steamy conversations but I think Mm. I think that the first sex scene was a little before the midpoint gotcha gotcha okay I'm going to read a bit from this I mumbled brief responses and a pro. Oh, we. I'm sorry. Before we begin, we should also say they're, they're role playing. So this is part of their kink is that they've decided that they're going to do a little role playing exercise, which is sort of like super fun. And they're kind of like we're flight. We're pretending we're flight attendants who meet for liaisons when we're in the same city. And I was like, that's such a fun idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point about setting it up. Yes, they're, they're at an airport hotel. Like they're flying out the next morning to go help Ethan's aunt, like at a meeting with the developers. And so they're like at the hotel the night before. And yes, so why not role play flight attendants? Because yeah. I was like, this is so fun. I love this idea. So I was like, <laughs> and it was so adorable. Like we're two flight attendants and we have the these liaisons when we're in the same city I was like oh my god try that sometime (laughs) okay I mumbled brief responses in appropriate places as I waited for him to do something to touch me anything anywhere oh and I should also add part of this kink moment I keep adding things as I'm like doing this is he's wearing a blindfold yes so, so, um, and that was sort of like, he had the room, he's in the room and this is before Ethan comes in and he puts the blindfold on. So he's re- relies on the sound. He knows that Ethan's come into the room and all that, but he can't see anything. I also yes. need to mention that. And that was like his idea. Parker was yeah. like, Ooh, I'm kind of interested because Ethan's trying to kind of find out what Parker's interested in. Since Parker doesn't have a lot of experience, he's trying to kind of help Parker experience a lot of different things so that they can sort of figure out what Parker really wants to dive more deeply into. And so Parker was like, yeah, I'll, I'll put a blindfold on. I'll wrap a tie around my face. Why not? (laughs) Let me try this. So this is, this is where they, (laughs) so this is what's happened in right before this moment. I mumbled brief responses in appropriate places as I waited for him to do something to touch me, anything, anywhere. I squirmed as I tried to shake the offness clouding my desire the bed dipped and i jumped when ethan's warm palm slid up my shin i'm going to make 
the best of the next few hours I have with you before your next flight. He kissed the side of my leg, inhaling deeply when he reached my inner thigh. My skin was tight as a vacuum-sealed bag around me. I didn't like it. The sensation was fine, great even, but too impersonal. If not for recognizing his voice, he could have been anyone touching my most sensitive skin. I thought about the traffic lights he'd, talk, he'd taught me while trying to focus on him, the graze of his fingertips against the crease of my upper thigh. I gripped the sheets under me and pressed into the bed. Parker, what's your color? He asked softly while rubbing gentle circles on my hip. I can do this. I'm having fun. Mostly. This is great. A little bit uncomfortable, but I should stick with it since I suggested it. If I give in immediately, was, was I even cut out for kink? Ethan's voice filled my head. Either of us can change our minds about anything at any time. It's okay to want something in one moment, not the next. Sometimes an idea seems fun in theory, but not in practice. Ethan gave me the gift of my voice. Yellow, I blurted before I'd even unclenched my fingers from the sheets. Ethan's gentle hands quickly pulled the tie off my head without lingering. He sat cross-legged in his boxer briefs and peered at me with his hands in his lap. I found no hint of frustration or disappointment. He exuded calmness, curiosity, and his usual warmth, the warmth that had drawn me toward him initially. I relaxed. I made the right choice. I'm proud of you. I didn't expect those words, but they were exactly what I needed. He's perfect. I loved that moment. I was like, yes, he is. He is perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's, I loved what you did here too, because when I'm reading books with kink in it, like I've often read those sort of like moments of trepidation for, with the person who has never embarked in kink before. And then it's kind of gotten over and continues. Like nobody, I, I, I've never read a moment where there's an actual stop. Like there's an actual halt and they come out of it and they say, and they have the conversation, where are we now? How do you feel? What's going on? What can we change to make you more comfortable? Like, like that's, like that's never happened. And in books that I've read with kink, um, you know, like I'm not saying that I have like a huge encyclopedia of knowledge <laughs> of kink books, but I thought that was really lovely that you were, that you did that in this moment. Thank you. I really wanted a way to show how, they are comfortable with each other and how Parker is comfortable with Ethan in a way he's never been with one of his exes and that mm -hmm. just how they've created this connection with each other where they can be really vulnerable and do something that might seem hard. Like it's in the moment, like, okay, it's not that uncomfortable. I can just push through, but no, like Ethan taught me that it should be as good as it can be and it's okay to stop it and like readjust and, and just Parker getting that proof from Ethan of, oh, he's not mad at me. He's not judging me. He's not right. doing anything. And um, how that helps them really cement this connection. Because at this point, there's still very much fake relationship. Ethan is trying not to admit his feelings. He's, I'm doing this kink 101 to help Parker. This isn't us in a relationship. I'm still kind of on my dating hiatus. And so I really wanted something to kind of make Ethan realize like, ah, shit, I really like this guy. <laughs> He's really good for me. I like what I'm sort of wondering is why do people keep dumping Ethan? He's great. Like I know. He is. <laughs> He's so adorable. And he, he just is like a little, a little golden retriever. He's the, um, each of the guys at the brewery have like their own area of focus and Ethan's area 
is he runs the tap room part of the brewery and he's their bartender. And so he's the very like smiley Mm. public face of the brewery. And, but he has this tendency to like adopt the hobbies of whoever he's dating. He's pansexual. And so he's dates, um, you know, wide range of genders. But one thing he always does is like, I want to be who they want. So I I will do whatever. Mm. I will adopt their hobbies. I'll twist myself to be the person they want. And Parker's like the first person he hasn't done that with. Oh, and so that's kind of, he just isn't always fully himself in relationships. Okay. Got it. Got it. He's okay. such a golden retriever. I love him. I know. I'm like, he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> going to keep going now. I'm going to get a little steamier. The clock's ticking. I better get my fill my fill of you. Ethan kissed all over my body as though he were trying to get a blackout as he as if he were trying to get a blackout bingo on my skin. He flicked his tongue around my nipples, applying gentle pressure in a pattern I couldn't discern. I squirmed and pressed my chest against him in desperation. I was so lost in his worship of my body that minutes went by before I realized I hadn't thought about the blindfold at all. Seeing him at the beginning made all the difference. His understanding made all of the difference. The blindfold allowed me to focus on my other senses and linger on new sensations. The light scratch of stubble as he licked across my skin. The groan sending shockwaves from the back of his throat when I begged. The softness of his hair where I gripped it. Blindfolds are going in the keeper column. I hoped we would try restraints at some point too. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, such a difference from where they started with the blindfold and now how he feels about the blindfold. And I just kind of love that moment. It felt like a full circle moment, you know, like where we were kind of bringing it back to that and saying, hey, like, I'm okay with this now. Yeah. Like he found the thing that he needed. So not only is he like discovering that comfort with Ethan, he's finding his own boundaries and his own needs of, okay, I do like this activity, but here's what I need for it to be enjoyable for me. I need to see the person before the blindfold goes on. And then green lights go wrap my head, cover my eyes, whatever. Like, let's do this. We're good to go. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. (laughs) So he's like kind of learning about himself too. And that Ethan's kind of creating that space for him to discover Okay, I do like this, but it needs X, Y, Z. Right. So good. Okay. I heard a zipper, some rustling, clinking, and other unidentifiable sounds. He returned, and something extremely soft brushed across my skin, teasing my arm, across my chest, and down my sides. A feather or a soft brush? Next was something scratchy, but it didn't really do much for me. Ethan must have sensed it because he moved on to something smooth and cool, a polished stone? When he dragged it across the sensitive skin between my thighs, I gasped, and Ian sucked in a breath. Having Ian solely focused on my body and pleasure shot my enjoyment toward the sky. He acted like there was a direct connection between our bodies. Each time I gasped or moaned, he did too. I hissed when Ethan circled one nipple with an ice cube while his tongue teased the other. The dueling sensations made my eyes roll back. When he switched and applied his hot mouth to my cold skin, I was done for. My dick had been steadily hardening, but that pushed it over the edge into testing the confines of the jock. So fucking good. Hotel ice machines are the best thing ever invented. I barely tracked his mouth moving down my body until the jock slid forward, slid toward my feet. It's been too long since I got my mouth on you. I jerk off every night thinking about sucking you off. It didn't matter if he was in character because I'd done the same thing. 
Ethan's hot tongue looped around my crown and teased the slit while he moved the ice cube back to my nipples. I heard loud moans and assumed our neighbors were also getting it on, but then I realized they were for me. I'd never been so vocal before. Do you have an advanced degree in BJ's? Because Jesus, it was the best blowjob I've ever had. He trailed the ice cube along my happy trail while he laved my balls. I couldn't keep track of the sensations any longer as he gripped me expertly with long, hard strokes. When he put his mouth back on me again, taking me to the root, I shot up onto my elbows. His mouth was freezing. Oh my God. Oh my God. Instinct urged me to pull away, but I ignored it, basking in the sensation as his mouth warmed from the heat of my cock. If my dick wasn't already hard as steel, Ethan's hoarse chuckle would have done the job. This is so fucking fun. I can't believe I've been missing out on this. I like love that moment because I was like, I like it brought me right there with the shock of the ice cube. I was like, I don't think I don't think my reading of that did it justice. <laughs> he took me great. to the <laughs> he took me to the edge at lightning speed as I gave up trying to hold on. I reminded myself it wasn't our last time together to let go. I gripped his hair with one hand and my own with the other. His debauched moan when I accidentally squeezed too hard while his finger teased my rim pulled sounds for me I'd never made before. His mouth had lost its cool edge and his tongue burned against me as he lapped at my pre-cum while coaxing my hole to let him in, much like the gentle coaxing he'd been doing with my trust for weeks. Oh my God, that was so great. (laughs) I sort of loved how it was like tying in this sort of like really steamy, steamy moment with like, and then it sort of like goes back to the trust part and like emotions. Yeah. And like the fact that they're able to have this moment because they had that trust right going on that was that the trust was building and that's actually why they were at this moment right now it had nothing to do with the kink and the sex and the kink 101 and all of that it really had to do with the trust yeah and that's that's a really good example of how I'm like trying to tell people this is not a kink book this is a book that has kink as like a mechanism to show the trust because I don't want people to like pick it up and expect like oh girl let's do this this is gonna I'm ready for a kinky read I know but isn't that like kink is all about trust yeah ultimately you know and I think that um which is why I sort of think it's really cool that you are like using that as a mechanism uh, as the focus or you're using trust as the, I think trust is the focus rather than, or kink is the focus. Like, I just feel like there's a little bit, it's a little bit more overt in what you're doing that you are able to sort of use it as the mechanism toward to trust or vice versa. Like, I don't know. I don't know, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm tripping around that, but, but I think that there are parallels here and I think that it's like really cool how you've, how you've done it. Thank you. Okay. We're going to go to like the steamiest moment. I thought it was the steamiest moment. (laughs) His eyes were closed in ecstasy as he helped me ride out my orgasm, reaching between his legs and jerking furiously. Fuck my mouth, please, please, need it. I pulled at his shoulders. Ethan's tongue darted out to dab at the corner of his mouth before scrambling up my body, straddling my chest, and teasing my lips with the head of his dick. I opened my mouth, but he didn't push in. I begged him with my eyes to give me what I desperately needed. The blindfold is off, by the way. Um, He'd given me everything else. Don't stop now. If I could give him even a fraction of the pleasure he'd given me, I needed to. I wanted to. I might be new to kink, but I wasn't new to sucking cock. 
I knew some tricks. Oh my God, he's so cute. He teased his crown around my lips, letting me taste how turned on he was. Desperate and beyond begging, I reached around, cupped his cheeks, dug my fingers into his crack, and pulled him into my mouth. And a surprised grunt escaped him as he scrambled to balance and slammed his palm against the wall. He didn't hold back on thrusting in as far as I could take him. I let my middle fingers graze his hole as I held on. You look fucking incredible with my dick in your mouth. Sweat dripped down his temples. I moaned and doubled my efforts. I needed a taste of him, needed my reward. Moments later, Ethan warned me before spilling down my throat and easing the thrust of his hips until he jerked and pulled out. He paused, and I craned my neck to kiss the head of his cock before dropping back and letting my eyes fall closed. I would have bet 50 bucks the grin on my face would fall in the middle of a Venn diagram between Goofy and Blissed. <laughs> goofy and blissed oh my god so sweet um and yeah that was pretty damn steamy woohoo that that's was really that you say like sweet that's the thing that I, I learned uh i try to write steamy but for every like ounce of steam there's like a pound of sweetness i just can't help it <laughs> i can't help it like my first book just watch me i was like oh this is a really steamy premise this book is gonna be like so hot and just super steamy with like exhibitionism and voyeurism and then it's just like a sweet book that has some exhibitionism and voyeurism in it i can't get away i can't get away from the low <laughs> angst sweetness i mean i think that's the thing right i'm reading i'm reading this and like this is hot this is hot this is hot and then i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> two are sort of like they just like play with each other right in there where you're just like oh this is really right like you're like i need a fan and then and then it's like this sort of oh <laughs> i can't help it are they <laughs> i love them <laughs> this was super super fun what a really great scene and i know like we're missing like the second pl- part of this that you had sent me um we're, it's just where we go into um, Ethan's head and it's just all about aftercare and it is like the sweetest thing and, and very, and very lovely. And I'm just like, I love these two. They're a great couple. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So Lee, where can people find you on the internet? So for my books, it's leeblairbooks.com or leeblairbooks on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. I also have a Facebook reader group called Lee Lee Blair's Buddies. And on Thursdays, I post a random excerpt of, so like in the book, I have these group chats with the brewery guys. I have a few of them in each book and then they like start the chapters. And on Thursdays, I just post whatever random as hell, like group text. Like yesterday, I posted one about um, one of the guys stealing the Almond Joys from the other guy's Halloween candy and them texting oh about it. So I post those in my Facebook group. And then the podcast, Low Angst Library on any major podcast platforms and then lowangstlibrary.com or low ang- at Low Angst Library on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. Excellent. And um, uh, I forgot what I was going to ask, but I will say I will have all of these in the show notes. Um, so people, if you're driving, you don't have to like pull over and panic. <laughs> <laughs> and when are you launching? I, I, I record like so far in advance. I don't know if you do too. I'm like, I always have like a whole shit crap ton of interviews lined up because I'm so paranoid that like, I'm going to run out and I'm going to get to like a week where I'm posting and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't have an interview. <laughs> 
Um, so I lay, I like bank so many. I don't know uh, if you do the same, but when, uh, when are you launching? So it was supposed to be in like the third week of October, but with the technical issues I was having, it was delayed. And then I got COVID and my voice went away. So now that my voice is back, I can record the episode intros. And so I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that that means, so we're early November now and the next week or so, um, I'm hoping that I did six interviews. And so I wanted to have a few episodes available for people to binge. And then I'll be doing a new episode every two weeks. And I've already recorded um, the first of those regular episodes. So hopefully by mid-November, we'll have like seven or eight episodes up. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. I know that sort of every, I was on an every week schedule when I started and I just couldn't keep up, especially like once we got sort of like through COVID and like work started coming back and, you know, I was like, I can't do every week. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of work. So, so I went to the every other week too. Well, Lee, thank you so much for being here. It was super fun to talk to you. Thank you. I had a blast. I love listening to the episodes. And this is just so much fun to get to talk to you instead of like listening to two of my besties talking. Like I got to talk to a bestie is what this feels like. It was so much fun. Thank you. And I can't wait for your podcast to launch because I'm like really psyched to listen to it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check out Lee's Low Inks Library podcast and go find her on the socials. If you love this episode as much as I love this episode, would you give it a rating and review on your favorite podcast app? It really helps with discoverability. Next time, Nue Kirwan joins me, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, keep it steamy, my friend.